I'm here with the Rome boys. We had you all on the show, and they have uh, Tony, Joe, and Chris. Yes, yes. <laughs> all three of the amigos here. And, uh, <laughs> ah, amigos, that's better than yeah. stooges. Yeah, that's what our, de our deacon just called us the three stooges, so yeah, we'll take amigos. <laughs> and you all were up at the shrine. Just, let's talk about that first. That was your yeah. day at the shrine. It was great. I've, and I've been there personally myself once and brought the family, all seven kids and my wife before. So, oh. But uh, to be able to have mass with Father Mitch down there with Mother Teresa, or, or oh, yeah, not yeah. Mother Teresa, Mother Angelica. Yeah, Mother Angelica. There you <laughs> go. Yeah, she'll be a saint someday, Mother Angelica. Yeah. Will be. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, and uh, yeah, personal mass down there. And then we got to visit with the sisters. And there was a Bible study that we got to sneak back there in the cloister yeah, and be able to yeah. be there with Father Mitch. And so it was a blessing yeah. for sure. What a beautiful place. My yeah. goodness. And stunning. The hills of Alabama. Uh, amidst the trees, and there's yeah. just this white picket fence winding all the way up. I was blown away. Yeah. And the St. Angelo region, is that that's kind of more greenish than Midland, you said? Is that um, or, no. <laughs> we, we would like, no, it, it, we would like it to gray. be, but it's brown. It is just brown. We are on the edge of East Texas and West Texas. Okay. Meaning, when you get into East Texas, it starts getting greener and greener the more east you go. Okay. The more west you go, the browner it gets. And so we're kind of on that yeah. edge of that line. Right. And it just seems like the brown is moving a little bit farther our direction. <laughs> The desert just seems to be working its way east. So, but if you don't like to mow your grass, it's perfect like me. So I don't like to do it, so. It's nothing to mow. Not this year. Not this year. It's pretty tough. You probably heard a little bit of uh, frustration in the farmer's voice. Yeah. Well, you know, I keep up with the weather quite a bit. It's part of the livelihood, and it's just we haven't had rain in like over seventy days, and or no, seven months. We haven't had a decent rain, and it's been over a hundred seventy plus days. Yeah, and mm -hmm. not consecutive, but we've had over 70 plus days this summer of over 100 degrees. So it's just not fun. Mm -hmm. And it's not the humidity. We don't have humidity. Zero. Mm -hmm. Zero humidity. So it is a dry heat. You know, here in Alabama, it might get, what's y'all, what like, was the high like today? 93, I think. 93, which you had probably 50% humidity, oh, maybe. maybe. more than um, that. Yeah, probably more. Yeah. 50, 60% humidity. Yeah, we were 105 degrees, 0% humidity. It is like a blow dryer in your face every day. It's terrible. And you, as a farmer. So who wants to move <laughs> to West Texas? Yeah. Oh, I thought you were talking about moving away. Yeah. <laughs> and as you farm cotton, are you out in that all day kind of thing? Not, not too much. Uh, we do have nice equipment with good air conditioners, mm -hmm. so uh, that's that's nice to have. And I've got a couple employees that do a lot of the yeah. outside work for me, which is nice. But uh, mm -hmm. no, we try not to be out in it as if we don't. I try to find work for them to do in the mornings while it's cool outside, and then try to get them in a tractor in the afternoons to where right. they stay in the air conditioning because it's yeah. just brutal. Yeah. Yeah. It's just brutal. So. I find I do a lot more office work these days than tractor work. <laughs> like editing Rome Boys videos. Yeah, the drought helps because I have more time to do that. If it was, if we had a crop growing, I'd be on a sprayer uh, tending the crop. So mm -hmm. it's, it has given me some time to edit. So. Right. Now, Joseph, you, you have five kids. Correct. And Tony, you have seven. Mm -hmm. And Chris, you have six. Yes. And, um, we want to talk about, uh, you suggested, I thought it was a good idea to talk about evangelization at home. Yeah. Right? And so it would be like your family, your parish, diocese. 
-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think uh, we're all maybe a little intimidated about uh, not being a prophet in our own land. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's it is intimidating, but you know, it's also intimidating at home whenever uh, you know we're not perfect dads, we're not perfect parents, and so. I think as Christians, we don't want to be hypocrites. So it's hard to evangelize and spread the gospel. Mm. And uh, I think what we've done as Rome boys to step out and actually put our face in front of a camera for the whole world to see is, hey, these guys aren't perfect. Just like, you know, they told Jesus, isn't that the carpenter's son? Mm. You know, uh, it's not like we're not not experiencing something that hasn't already been done. Isn't that the farmer's son? Yeah, yeah isn't yeah. that the farmer? Yeah. <laughs> And Joe, uh, your brother was a priest, and your you know your grandfather, uh, yeah. or your your uncle was a bishop. What what have you done yeah, with see, your these life? These guys have a little bit of an advantage here because they moved into the area, uh-huh. so nobody really knows their background too much. <laughs> Where my area, they saw me grow up. They uh-huh. saw a lot of the mistakes uh-huh. I made and a lot of the. But you grew up in a real so. devout home. If your brother's a priest, uh, yeah, it was it was very devout. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd say see, my mom was a convert. She was a Baptist growing up, and then when she got, before she got married, uh, she converted, and very faithful. And growing up, you know, your parents try to lay that foundation of the faith for you. And dad, always in the field. Farming was a lot different than it is back, than it is now. Mm. And he spent a lot of time in the tractor away from the home. And he kind of had a reversion, or yeah, conversion, however you want to say it, into the faith when I was in high school and uh, really got strong in his faith. And mom was always the one that was, yeah, we're going to church on Sunday. You're going to CCD on Wednesday. Go, go, go. Uh, but dad really was like, listen to mom. Listen to mom. And that what we do a lot as dads, you know, just listen. What did your mother say? You know, what did your mom say? Dad, what did you do? What did your mom say? You know, but uh, so a lot of the faith was kind of in mom's territory. She kind of took the reins. And then when dad had his conversion uh, and got really strong in his faith, he wanted the reins back and she wasn't she was kind of a little reluctant to give them back and but the foundation was laid I guess is my point to make a short story long uh, <laughs> is that you know they, that background was there for whenever I would stumble and fall it was there for me to build on and your brother's the priest he's older or younger younger I'm the oldest out of five yeah. I'm the yeah. oldest out of five he's in Denver yeah. right now I'm not quite practicing the priesthood right now. He's no. discerning some more. Yeah, uh, he's doing a lot of discerning. So, right. Right. but <laughs> awesome guy. I guess we all great guy. Yeah, he's so great. For him. Yeah. great guy. Yeah, I need to pray for him. I hope he comes back soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of you know, well, let's not get into politics. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, well, that brings up a good point too. I, I think, I think the witness. I think we all, you know, I'm a priest, and you're preaching and things and we're all very aware of our own weaknesses and everything and some of that is persevering I think part of the witness is persevering in your weakness it's like Mm -hmm. you know you're trying to I mean you're getting I always say we're getting I'm getting beat to death by my vices and sins and that I'm repenting I'm getting up again and I think people like I I find people are they they're willing to accept that you know if they see a, a faithfulness to begin again it's duplicatable. Right. Perfection is not. Right. And we just, it's interesting you bring that up because we just had a talk on spiritual warfare yeah. just a few days ago, uh, last week, as a matter of fact. And we talked about how some exorcists will talk about how the demons are there to help, are really there to help you grow right. in your vices. 
or against your vices. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, they tempt you to go into your vices, right, but right. that helps you grow. Right. You know, right. to be challenged yeah. in your faith, to be challenged against your vices helps you grow out of them, you know, yeah. become yeah. stronger to fight against them. So, you know, that's yeah. interesting you bring that up. Yeah. It, yeah. And I think that's why what we've found is uh, it's our stories, it's our struggles that really draw people in. Uh, you know, they've uh, we've we've been encouraged to continue to tell our story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when people come up to us after a, a show or a talk or that's what they tell us is, wow, uh, I didn't know you guys were going through that. I had the same experience. Yeah. And when we tell our stories and we are real about it, and as crazy as our experiences may be with the struggles or challenges, whether they're you know self-inflicted uh, sins or wounds or created by our, our upbringing, you, you just never know what somebody else is going through. Mm-hmm. And I think it's uh, we, were, we just had a conversation with a priest here in the dining hall and uh, he was telling me a story about uh, his how, dad. Yeah. yeah, about his dad who just passed away six months ago. But there was another priest who came to him and said, I struggle with losing my dad eight years ago and I find myself as a priest just going back to my room and just sobbing, crying. Mm. And the priest who I was telling me the story said, Oh my goodness, I had no idea anybody else was going through this. Even as a priest, you know, uh, you think, wow, you've got all the tools in your tool bag to deal with the struggles of life. Uh, but what it, my response to him was, had he not, had the other uh, priest not told you his, you know, what, what his struggle was, would you have shared yours? You know, and he looked at me and his eyes got big and he said, that's a great point. And so, coming back to that point of evangelizing to everyone around us, mm-hmm. uh, you never know what, what somebody else may not have experienced. And we, we all have something to share and uplift each other with. You know, I say a point that the only reason that we speak is because we want to um, provide information or influence uh, for someone because it's not something that they've heard before. Right, you don't want to tell somebody the same thing over and over again necessarily. Obviously, if you're praying and meditating, but unless you're two year old, quit, put that down, put yeah. that down, put that down. Yeah. So, uh, so every interaction is an opportunity uh, to have a new experience with someone. You never know what to expect. I it's always a, say, it's last, a, it's a, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, last thing, uh, uh, action or doubt will take you out of action. Right, it keeps. It keeps us sitting back in our chair. But action, every time, will take you out of doubt. So we just have to take action. I think it's a fun approach that we have found through trial and error that you share your struggles, your testimony, how God's worked and what's gone wrong (laughs) and your life experiences. And then you share your faith, however that may be. And then after they, we, we have a talk, and all these people come up to us, and then they share their stories. I'm like, don't share. Oh, it's great to hear your story. That's absolutely true. But now go out and tell all your family and friends and everybody else your story. Imagine if Catholics did that. You know, like, you know, you told your stories. You just shared that story with the priest. You know, priest to a priest, a layperson to a layperson, a married couple, a mom that's going crazy with her kids at home to another mom. I mean, we need to know that God is there and, he, and we're really struggling. All of us are constantly on this battle for conversion and the sacraments are there for us. So um, I think the approach is let's be transparent. Let's realize we're human. 
Uh, we have God, we have the sacraments, we have this prayer life to be with us. And we need to do this in community and, and, and not be so isolated, Absolutely. especially coming off, off of COVID. Um, that, uh, hey, brothers, like this, these three guys here, like, you know, this is what I'm struggling with. I need prayer right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the devil is going to hit us when we're down and, and realize that uh, God will always pick us up if we, you know, rely on that community, rely on our church to be with us. Yeah. I had a friend of mine tell me a story that she was uh, working in a parish and they had a priest from, I think he was from another diocese even, but needed like a year off. And he was thinking about leaving the priesthood, real frustrated. Mm -hmm. And the reading came up, Micah 6, 8, on the daily readings. And it and it says, He has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And he said, after meditating upon that, that he made a decision to go back to the priesthood, that... Oh, wow. You know, I, I took it to mean, I knew what he meant. It's like what my friend was relaying to me. But that sometimes, again, like our own vices can really beat us up and we can get into the heads of others. We can live in all these expectations and got to do X, Y, and Z mm -hmm. and do all. But what does God require of you? You know, to do justice, to do the right thing, to be merciful, to walk humbly with your God, just to follow him. So mm -hmm. what is he putting in front of you? What is he leading you to do to make it simple? You know, maybe I'm getting too fractured and too distracted. And I think John the Cross talked about, you know, if we if we give up those things that we're attached to, that we always are finding delight in, then we'll find what our heart really desires, you know, and to focus yeah. on God. And what I hear what yeah. you're saying is keep it simple. The longer yeah. I've been married <laughs> and have kids... <laughs> I went from like, let's plan for the week, let's plan for the few days, let's plan for this second, <laughs> because everything changes. And then uh -huh. if you're present in that moment, looking at that particular person in their eyes, and you're alive in that moment, who knows about the future? Who knows if that's going to even uh -huh. be there? The devil can play into that with fear anyway, so just let it go. Chris does a great example of that. He's just uh -huh. in the moment because <laughs> uh -huh. your schedule's so busy. But uh, yeah, to be there with that person. Uh, my wife, we had a t-shirt company for a while, and she made a shirt and just said, be, B-E, just be. <laughs> and she loved it. She was on fire about yeah, it. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Just, she was passionate about mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And part of it, too, I guess, is finding a, a safe person. You don't become completely transparent. Whether yes. It wouldn't be appropriate. Absolutely. Can you all give some tips about that? Like, you kind of have to pick your friends carefully. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that, how do you go from that one? Uh, you know, because you tend to grow up with your friends constantly change, you know, mm -hmm. as you're growing up. I don't have the same friends I did in grade school as I did in high school as I did in college to even now. They just kept changing. They just People just come in and out of your life all the time. But when I see those friends that I used to hang out with and they haven't really changed all that much uh, or really haven't grown in their faith, maybe not at all. And I see the way they speak and how they talk. And it's like, was I like that? Yeah. Did I do that? Did I speak like that? And I was like, I knew the answer. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I did. And just so to be an example for them, when we do finally get to hang out, which is not very often, mm -hmm. the people I hang around with the most are under 15. You know? <laughs> <laughs> My kids. No, that sounded inappropriate. No, no. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, you know, being an example for them on how 
I treat my wife and how I treat them, you know, and that's a constant struggle. We talked about before you came in here about how we struggle with being lazy. Yeah. How can you be lazy when you have that many kids and a wife and, right. and now an apostolate that keeps bringing up more and more stuff to do? And, and really, I look at it as priorities. How do you show your priorities yeah. to your kids? And we're, we're showing God's number one. Yeah. Yeah. They got to be second, which that's, that's a juggle. Right. That's a juggle because the business comes, demands come from your work, yeah. and you're, you've got to be there for your kids as well and your wife. I mean, you can't leave her out. Mm -hmm. I mean, the kids will eventually leave. You're going to be with her for a long time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we got to make sure she's happy. If Mama's happy, everybody happy. So you know, there's that's a constant juggle. So it's it really comes down to priorities, and yeah. it's tough to juggle that. Yeah, for me, recently in the last few months, I've been doing spiritual direction, and uh, and that's mm -hmm. been great because that is the internal form. You can just give everything over to that priest. He's not going to say anything, and here it is. And I, it's a priest I've known for a while, so and we're friends. So <laughs> then I can just, there it is. Like the first yeah. session, I was just able to here it go, you know, yeah. pick off where we left off. So that's been great. And at the same time, our wives, you know, we share everything with them. That's our best friend, you know. And so and then certain things as men and what we're struggling with. Here's the guys, you know, our mm -hmm. our friends here as Rome boys. So, you know, there's certain people for certain situations. But I think I want to encourage that that spiritual direction for laity is a good thing, too. You know, I think it's something I learned about in the seminary and as a seminarian. But uh, uh, I came back to that and I, my son came up to me the other day and goes, you're a lot happier, you know, in the last couple of months. Hmm. Nothing else really has changed, you know, the sacramental practices and prayer life and that has been added. So that might be something for people to consider. I know? agree, Tony. I, you know, now that you have that reflection of the last two months, it's mm -hmm. awesome to, okay. to hear you say it. That's great in real time here. Uh, and to answer your question, uh, and kind of to Joe's point, you do have to discern who you're hanging around. Because mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot of people, uh, there were a lot of people that I hung around that, uh, you know, I think a lot of us have a desire for other people to strive for holiness more than they do themselves. And I, I struggled with that. Uh, in fourth grade, I was leaning up against the washing machine and my mom was was being beat up. And I told my mom, you can't live like this anymore in fourth grade. And I said, I'm, I've got to leave. I've got to move out. But my mom stayed in that struggle you know, she chose to be there. And so I had to make the choice to not be with my own mother at that point in my life. And my mom knows this story. You know, we've had this conversation. But there's a great book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. Um, and he's in the Denver area. Uh, him and Chris Stefanik are friends. And, uh, Is he, what, did he start a ministry about, like, helping parishes and things? Uh, yes. Yes, I believe so. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I have to be careful with talking about bald-headed people yeah. because the Rome boys or Joe, Tony, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. No, you're good, Joe. You're yeah, good. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, for now. But uh, in the book, it, it just talks about, uh, and, and we have to. We've experienced this in real ways, in yeah. difficult ways, and challenges. Just the three of us hanging out, you know, and two of us are brother-in-laws, and we're, we're probably related to Joe. We're just trying to figure out how. Um, <laughs> But, wise, uh, sure. yeah, yeah. So, uh, but in that book, it says that you have to have a foundation of trust. And when we can trust each other to know that our goal is to help each other get to heaven, we can say anything to the other person. Mm. 
And you're right in asking your question about helping parishes. Uh, I have a friend who uh, has Ablaze Ministries, and they help parishes just figure out how to have a good meeting. Uh, and they use his books. One of the books is Death by Meeting. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, and there's we were just at a parish uh, in uh, Texarkana, and on the priest bookshelf there were seven books of Patrick Lencioni's that talk about leadership. And uh, while those may seem like secular titles, it, it you know it hits us in reality every day. It helps us realize that there are going to be some people in your in your area, it, you know, in of your life that you may not get along with and they may not bring out the best of you and uh that's okay uh it doesn't mean you need to 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 work to foster that relationship because you may not be the person that's gonna um, change that about them you know i've had to deal with that so yeah i'd say i've been blessed with friends that you know i've got a maybe they're just a handful of them but they're lifelong friends had all my life and will have all my life but yeah, we don't hang around as much as we used to. Uh, but I hope that you know through the way we're doing things with Rome boys or even with our own families that that has a positive influence for them. You know, we we say this on the show a lot. You you tend to act like the five people you hang around with the most. You know, and if I can be an influence to those guys uh, who are my friends, then great. You know, there's there's those lifelong relationships that we can help develop just by living out our faith, you know, living it the way we're trying to grow. You know, we're not perfect at it. We're not great at it. But my hope is that that influence not just helps them, but also filters down to my kids, my domestic church, you know, that they pick up on this. And we've, I've said this before when we first started, you know, farming's a dangerous business, uh, just like anything else. But <clears throat> if something were to happen to me, they, these videos ain't going anywhere. Mm. You know, they'll have their dad for, you know, for years. You know, I keep thinking about, you know, used to have family reunions. They don't do that much anymore these days. You know, you know, you used mm. to, all the families would get together and open up the photo albums and look at the family members from years gone by and play well, dominoes and play dominoes, and drink beer, <laughs> and then, you know, just have a good time. But now it doesn't happen as much anymore. So, you know, things kind of, have a way of coming back around so i'm hoping years from now maybe they'll be watching a, a rome boys video mm. at the Methuselah reunion in 2150 or something <laughs> <laughs> interesting dynamic is uh w- what joe said uh, your friends do change over time you know mm-hmm. we we have different and, and what's i think interesting for me all i ever wanted was a family and uh and so when you when you are trying to figure that out as a dad and you have a, you know you got a wife now and then you grow that family god willing uh with kids it, it, we're all just learning we're all just learning how to do whatever it is that god has called us to do mm-hmm. uh, i tell that to my kids a lot it's like i don't care what y'all decide to do if it's what god's called you to do i have got your back 100 mm-hmm. percent. yeah that's yeah. support i'm sure you guys have seen that study heard about it where the determined that like the the father's practice of the mm-hmm. faith has a bigger impact on the kids yes. than the mothers even though oftentimes the mothers are taking up the, the role soul one doing yeah. a lot of heavy lifting <laughs> <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. but why you know i i can't put my finger on it too there's something about 
one time I was I was at a men's conference up in the Seattle area, and they had like before the thing started, everybody was there like for muffins and breakfast and stuff, and it just and they were sitting at the tables and talking, and it just struck me as there's something powerful about it that that when when men get together, it just seems like there's something happens that is healing and strengthening and I, I describe like there's a certain presence that a man brings and mm. and I you know what the woman brings too I mean her like her personal gifts and and just like who she is in her being you know is just I, I kind of marvel at it you know she just is in the realm of the spiritual values more easy you know, quickly mm, easily than yeah. men mm-hmm. so you would think there would be that presence about them but I, I sense it more about men for some reason I don't I don't know what the phenomena is, but <laughs> I find it I find it interesting that as you were talking, you're kind of clenching your fists. And the way I kind of look at it is like a, a man is like the a rock, like the rock, and the church is the rock, the foundation, you know, and it's solid and it's not moving and it's you know stable, you know. Although Chris and I and our and our upbringing, our dads were not weren't there for us, but the church is always there, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's what we want to be as fathers, to be there for our kids and invest as much time as possible. I mean, evangelization with Rome boys is good, but evangelization with our kids is everything. You know, they're the future of, of the mm-hmm. church that we look at every day and we help bring into this world and, and educate. And then you move from there to your parish church. And in our particular diocese, it's just crazy. It's a missionary diocese. The bishop just recently mentioned if one priest left at this point, there, there'd be no one to cover it. So me growing up in, in Denver, Colorado, and and getting a master's degree in theology, that was a dime a dozen. But in our diocese, there's hardly anybody. It's dry as far as the land. It's dry as far as catechesis and evangelization. So God has placed us there to be able to be that rain, God willing to, to soak the land and bring, bring that gospel. But if we always picture that tier, you know, first my family, then the local church, then the diocese, within all. Uh, if you're hitting your family, I think all of it gets hit <laughs> in the long run. Yeah, because what if, I mean, if we, through Rome Boys, reach a million people but lose our kids? Amen. What good did we do? Right, right, no, absolutely. We did probably worse. Mm-hmm. In our house, I would say, I would picture what you're trying to say there. I would say that, you know, my in my house, our wife, my wife is the spiritual warrior. She, you know, the prayer warrior. She's the spiritual warrior of the house but i'm the spiritual leader is mm-hmm. how i would put it you know talking about that there's something about that men dynamic you know what is it that we bring to the table that i was talking to a group of teenagers you know and i just asked them i said why do you watch tv or why do you watch football do you watch football on sundays they were, yeah 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 why do you watch football on sundays because dad watched it are you a cowboys fan or a denver broncos fan or a houston astros fan why because that's what daddy did you know there's just mm-hmm. something that dads bring to the table but what or how are we using that influence you know are we using it in a positive way i mean other than i mean great sports are great they're a great distraction but it's not the most important thing in the world you know so you know i think that that dynamic for me is it's an interesting balance of how a man loves even if it's brothers uh you know uh just friends we, because what we all desire love and I think as men it's kind of a that's a weird subject you know like uh, so but it is the L word 
Yeah, yeah <laughs> but it is dynamic. So it's it's almost like, uh, you know, uh, men say less words than women, right? Mm-hmm. So when a man <laughs> speaks, uh, often people listen. You and six daughters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You better be doing a way lot to keep of me holy. Yeah. Way to keep me humble. This is what I boom, boom. <laughs> Get it, Father Mark. Oh man. Yeah. That was funny. Uh, uh yes. Uh, now I'm I'm stunned. I don't know what to say. Yeah, and 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 God is a man, right? Yeah. And uh there's nothing more powerful than him. And uh, the head of the household is with the man at the head, right? And it's just, we're always in this place of authority and position. And uh, Father Mitch was just in the Bible study saying that the spoken word is, was, was more important than the written word. That's why the Jews couldn't even say the name of God. Uh, and, and when men speak, I think people listen. It's, it's just something that's built into how God designed the way we communicate inherently. And I would imagine with your story too, not knowing your father for a period of time, and yeah. it, has God sent like father figures into your life that have really blessed you and helped you? Yes, indeed. Uh, and there was, uh, there were, you know, a lot of women actually along the along the way who uh, took care of me and took me in. My my grandmother, uh, my aunt, my uncle was there, but he wasn't always present he worked and he worked uh, what they call graveyard shifts you know at night and so he's asleep during the day and uh but then when i became friends uh with adam in third grade uh his mom was a foster parent and she stopped fostering and her husband is seven foot tall he played basketball for texas a&m university and uh was a man of very few words but when he spoke i was awestruck I listened, you know, I listened. And he was very calm, he was very gentle, and he was a giant. <laughs> and so I saw love in a huge man, you know. Uh, and that's when I saw, and they took me to church with him. And that's when they taught me what a family should look like and uh, how it should operate. And they told their kids they loved them. And uh, it was just, it was all foreign to me, honestly. Uh, and then, so he was probably um, the biggest male influence in my life because quite my, literally, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> seven right. feet tall. I mean, yes. quite literally, the large, yeah. yeah. So you wouldn't miss it. God put this seven. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. That's Hello. exactly what I needed. Yes, yeah. So he, um, so my stepdad, he taught me manners, but I was scared to death in his presence, uh, and uh, and he beat my mother and constantly. Uh, I mean, in, in terrible ways. And, you know, he slept with other women and, uh, and I was witness to all of this and I saw the brokenness in my mom. So I saw exactly what not to do and how, how a man, you know, just takes advantage of uh, the masculinity that he's been given, you know, which is uh, no chasteness, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I saw two opposite people there. And then, you know, uh, some time later, I, you know, I begged God to show me who my dad was and uh, standing in the middle of a field at a party that I shouldn't have been at. I was 18 years old and I remember looking up at the stars and I just started crying. Like, when are you going to give me, when are you going to allow me to know who my dad is? I didn't know his name. My mom didn't, I didn't know who he was. And it was very clear to me, as clear as the stars in the sky that night, um, as cliche as it may sound, I heard God say, uh, 
I am your father and I'm all that you need. And that's when I stopped actually looking uh, for my biological father. And uh, then it was uh, just four or five years later that I got a phone call from my new stepdad uh, who knows my dad uh, and uh, took a paternity test and of course, you know, found my biological father and, and he's been an awesome influence. I see why I act and have the mannerisms and behaviors that I do because yeah. it's just like my dad. Yeah. Yeah. It seems so critical to know where we come from, where we're rooted in. We just want to know that. And I think that's part of the church's teaching on like sexual ethics and, mm. you know, what's allowed in terms of helping a person conceive, you know, you can't, it's supposed to be from the act of love between a man and a woman. Right. So yeah. they're born in a family and you know, both parents and you know where you come from. And, I even saw secular studies that helped people that knew like the struggles of their parents, grandparents, they were more likely to persevere through their own struggles, you know, drawing from the witness that they saw in their family. You know, I think oh, that's yeah. so true, but uh, just to know who we are. And, you know, you remind me too of Mother Angelica that, you know, she talked often, you know, her parents were divorced and saw her father something like, I forgot it was seven, nine times or something i forgot the number but yeah he you know he didn't send the alimony or any of that stuff and um but how she had to heal that her view of the father the heavenly father because mm-hmm. it was distorted mm-hmm. and and today i i've grown to appreciate too just traumas in life you know that that leaves a wound and that's stuff to work through and but it seemed like god there's a place that God can come into our life in these difficulties and these poverties and traumas that we have to heal. And like you were, someone's mentioned earlier about how he uses all that to bring us closer to him. It's amazing how much a difference men can make in, 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 in a young man's life, for sure. You know, for me uh, in high school, my f- high school football coach was amazing, like the epitome of masculinity. Um, in like the 40 age group, he was the strongest, most athletic. He won awards. Like we were deathly afraid of the man, but at the same time, he was so amazingly like a, a role model and would call me on the phone and says, you know, Fresco, I'm going to make you, you know, one of the captains on the team. I believe in you. I trust in you. I'm like, these are things I needed to hear, mm-hmm. you know, without, I mean, dad was around, but he just wasn't, he moved to Michigan and my mom was in Colorado. So there was that struggle there. And then, uh, youth minister, Matt Stone, that invited me to go on a mission trip. And next thing you know, I'm singing songs in front of 500 people and praising God and giving my life to Christ. And I was like, if he didn't invite me, you know, I wouldn't have been here and I wouldn't be here. You know, you know, Mr. Lanzini, theology teacher, and just spreading the faith for the first time, Catholic grade school, Catholic high school. And then he's just teaching the faith in a real way, you know, talk about marriage and sex and all the things about that. I'm like, wow, this is cool. This is amazing. I think I want to do this the rest of my life. If he wasn't there, you know, I wouldn't be here today. So, and then priests, so many solid priests that were just such great examples of forgiveness and love and being that fatherly figure, that spiritual father figure that, I mean, like I said, all men need to rise up and look for young people that are hurting because our society is nuts, you know, and is need of of the love of the Father, like we just talked about, both physical and spiritual. There's yeah. so much there. You know, I, I just was telling this story to Rhonda 
Runewald, who's in Texas, promotes vocations and stuff. And, you know, my father passed away when I was in college, first diagnosed cancer first year, and then a year and a half later died. And then I discerned the call when I was 25. And, and you know, he it was unthinkable not to go to mass on Sunday. He had us there, he had us in CCD. And I remember going to college and I just thought, I went to Colorado School of Mines mm. up there in Denver and I, I just thought, well, everybody goes to church, right? Mm. Protestant. Mm. Kind of, you know? Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, and this was a God thing. My roommate was that kind of cat. I mean, he was in church every awesome. you know, Sunday, so I had a ride and stuff. But anyway, <laughs> when I discerned the call, um, you know, I was struggling. I was in seminary and I was struggling. I said, is this really for me? You know, is this really, this is a big commitment, responsibility. And so, am I going to be happy and all that it's kind of self-centered thinking? Yeah, yeah. But I, I was visiting my grandfather in New Orleans and we're eating like crabs and crawfish with pile the shells on the table. Nice, <laughs> nice. And I remember he was drinking like a Jack's beer or something. <laughs> <laughs> and he wasn't one to make a lot of conversation, but I remember I was just kind of quietly picking these crabs and, I, and he said, so how's it going? You know, and uh, he would never ask me that question. Mm. Whoa. I don't remember him asking that. And, and I said, I don't know. I knew what he, because I knew what he was talking about kind of in a deeper way. Yeah. yeah. I'm not just asking you how your day was. You know? Yeah, it's yeah. Like, right. How are you doing? How's yeah. your seafood going? Yeah. Right? <laughs> how are you? Uh, I told him, I said, I don't really know. I don't know about this. And he said, well, don't start that static. He's called it static. I said, you know, it's a good life. Mm. And I remember when he said that, I just felt like this. I just felt like this strength, you know, mm. that it was like, <sighs> I just need to hear that from the father, my, yeah, you know, my father figure. Yeah. And I was thinking about it the other day. And so, you know, it's interesting with our stories, you know, we can, maybe it could be a prideful thing. We tell our stories or whatever. But when I, when I tell it, something new often strikes me. Mm. And I, yes. and the other day, yeah, I was thinking, because yes. he had wanted to be a priest when he was growing up, but oh. his, my grandfather's parents got a divorce. And back in those times, like he, couldn't become a priest mm-hmm. yeah. and um and i thought you know and he he always had a great love respect for the church and i i felt like it was i don't know i just felt like god used and he wasn't like this mr enthusiastic guy but you know he just came in with the right answer at the right time yeah. and i think it came out of his background and his respect and he he wanted to do it himself mm-hmm. yeah there it is you know? that's what i thought you might say yeah, and I, I think men, they just need to hear that kind of approval or encouragement mm-hmm. or acknowledgement from someone. Yeah. That's it. That's it. <laughs> I think God sends it, you know, when we need it. We have to look for those so moments, simple. too, because yeah. we were in the middle of adoration the other day. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. I know I'm supposed to do this. And I pulled one of my sons over and I said, I am proud of you, you know, and I love you. And whatever vocation you pick, you know, it's up to you. You know, I mean, it's, you know, listen to God. He is the answer, as I'm pointing to Jesus in the monstrance, because I think there's some pressure there that he should follow a religious calling. I said, whatever you do, like Joe said, I'm going to support you and I have your back. And like, okay, now go back and pray. But, you know, like we have to have those, we have to look for those God moments, those Holy Spirit moments where we can touch that person's life and not hesitate, like Chris mentions often, you know. And, and well, say, I think you mentioned too earlier. <laughs> mentioned about how we can grow by seeing the struggles. We can avoid struggles that maybe our parents did by their witness. Yeah. You know, there's something humbling about seeing your heroes as humans. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad's my hero. 
you know, but I saw him growing up, you know, as I was growing up, faith wasn't all that important until it got to, as I thought maybe it was too late for me. Yeah, whatever, Dad, that's just something that you're doing. You know, and then years later, here I am trying mm. to be a model like him, you know, trying to be like him. Mm. You know, just there's, so I saw the struggles he went through. I had to do my own struggles. You know, maybe it was a little too late, but I'm hoping that through my example with my kids, maybe they can avoid some of those things mm. that I did. Mm. And uh, just because being real with them and having those bold conversations to just, let them know that this is the way the world is. This is how it wants you to be, but this is how you're supposed to be. You know, let's be strong in our faith. Let's, you know, guys, I hope to be their hero. Yeah. And, you know, people come up to us and say, like, what you guys are doing is amazing. And, and, and like, I could never be like you. Literally, they say those mm. things because they're too broken or whatever. Mm. And that we just take that opportunity to just squash that bug where it sits, you know, because... <laughs> What are you talking about? Right. You know, God built you for greatness, Amen. and I'm not saying that we think we're greatness. Nope. No. But uh, it is amazing how what you just said. You know, you talked about you don't know what it is when men get together, but you feel that strength in the room. When you just told your story, it's almost like I felt the Holy Spirit in the room. Just mm-hmm. and I, it's just I can't explain it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I it, I knew right where you were going because. Uh, there was, we were at an axe retreat and there was a guy who's on his first axe retreat, young guy, and he just had Deacon written all over him. Mm. And I don't think he, well, I know he had no idea that it was written right on his forehead, you know, and a mm. uh, guy next to me leaned over and said, don't you think that guy should be a Deacon? I just stood up from my seat, walked straight to him. Somebody said hi to me. It was almost like I stiff-armed him in the face. No. And I went straight to him and I said, I'm not <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it was slow-mo and I was saying, And I said, I don't know if anybody's ever told you this, but I'm, it's just on my heart. I think you should be a deacon. And he just looked up at me and he said, me? Like he was just shocked by it. But it was obvious to everyone else in the room. But, you know, he said, I, I'm not that smart. I'm not, it's not about intelligence. Nope. Uh, nope. So we have to step up and, and say just those simple things to encourage our brother. Well, it's the inv- invitation. It's yeah. the invitation. It's, it's all invitation. about that. He, it never occurred to him. Yeah. You know, now it's, now that, that seed's been planted. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we'll see what happens. There you go. You know, I think too, because I, I think back like the witness, my grandparents, I knew my grandparents, three of them lived in their 90s. I knew them very well. They were all in New Orleans. And, but, you know, when I most often think of them, I think about their struggles. You know, I, I think so when we witness to people, we want to think, well, it's, it's great. And it's true. I mean, hopefully our virtues, our fidelity and things like that. But maybe it's the virtue of perseverance that I think mm-hmm. most often of is like, they made it through the Great Depression. Yes. They had a sick child. Or they had, right, yeah. You know, even Janet Smith points this out about marriages that you think, well, it's better for the kids. We get divorced. And they and they say, and she makes the point that you're teaching them fidelity and perseverance, mm-hmm. which right. is something we all have to do. Whatever, whoever we are in life, we're going to have to persevere in something. And we'd, we'd like to, I always say, I'm not going to get through this looking good. You know, <laughs> that's the position of the community. So I am not going to look, I'm not going to be able to hold on to this exterior, whatever the hell it is. <laughs> yeah. I am not gonna, yeah. But 
I because I, I think we all have struggle, and so the per, the perseverance witnesses to us most powerful. Mm, absolutely, mm-hmm. when Father was talking about that lunch today, uh, Chris was talking about the the, the the struggle he has the most is obedience. Mm-hmm. You know, he wanted to go to his father when he was on his deathbed, but the bishop said no, so he mm-hmm. had to be obedient. We find that same struggle with our bishop, with that those the bishops are wives. You know, so there's a certain obedience that we have to have with them. And so we're growing in that. So we share that with you guys uh, as far as being obedient. Uh, where was I going with this? <laughs> you know, interestingly track. enough, the, the comparison of that was, uh, you know, this, uh, well, Father Chris Ayler says, uh, you know, I thought it was going to be, you know, chastity and, uh, you know, uh, restraining my sexual nature uh, as a man. Lo and behold, it was obedience that I struggled with the most, you know, just, right. and obedience is absolutely perseverance. Um, I just, Arist- oh, I know where I was going now. Aristotle, <laughs> oh, no, that's the set. Oh, I'm sorry. I lost Go my ahead. train of thought, but I was talking about, you're talking about your grandparents and there, there's a generational gap there. You're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, they grew up in the Great Depression. A lot of those people came back as hoarders. You know, they came out of that gener. They came out of the Great Depression. They didn't get rid of nothing. Well, we went through that whenever my grandfather passed away and cleaning out a lot of his stuff. I was like, why did he keep this stuff for? But anyway, but that perseverance in their faith, though, that was one thing that they never lost. Yeah. And then you see this kind of jump into our generation now, where you find, and I'm no psychologist, but you know, you find divorced couples. The kids from those divorces, now it's an option. You know, you have yeah. a child who comes from divorce, divorce is an option. You know, where that generation before, my grandparents, your grandparents, that was not an option. That didn't happen. You don't do that. You don't you get divorced, you stick it out, and you persevere through it. But then somewhere in there, that, that option got thrown in there, and now it's just yeah. everywhere. So we're, how do we be that model, that rock of persevere through this, that obedience to one another and let's get through this instead of, you know, that's it, I'm done. You know, let's let's fight for it. I think that's what the thing is, that men have dropped the ball as far as fighting for it. Let's mm-hmm. let's get back fighting into for fight. marriages, fighting for the church. Fighting for fighting our kids. For everything, everything. And their purity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this world is attacking purity left and right. I mean, all day long. And how do we fight for that purity for, their, for them? People don't even keep jobs anymore. You know, you look at, there's so much turnover in mm. every industry. Yeah. You know, to hear somebody say that they worked somewhere for 25 years, it's just, mm-hmm. wow, you're an anomaly, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. I've been farming for 22 years. <laughs> <laughs> Don't quit now, Joe. <laughs> say that with a hint of sadness. Yeah. <laughs> what would you guys, what advice would you give to a young couple getting married about like that dance. Don't uh, do it. No, no, <laughs> no, just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, it, it, I mean, you know, I could think that about the priest. You know, this is a lot. It, yeah. It's beautiful, but it's a lot harder than what you probably think it's going to be. Yeah. Because yeah, the only, I mean, I think it's just a Christian vocation. You got to die to yourself, right? Absolutely. And that, that not happening easily. The cross is everywhere. The old Adam yeah. doesn't want to die. But what would y'all the tell, like, Young guy getting married, that, that dance of like the roles, headship and all that, that, you know, to work that out and how that dynamic happens. And, and, and you're, you're going to have struggles and you're going to disagree, but somebody has to choose to not 
try to win. Somebody just has to give. It's not a competition, it's a team. It's exactly right. Because in every argument and every struggle, why do people continue to fight, 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 fight until they quit? Because somebody doesn't just get down on their knees and say, whatever it is that I've done, I'm sorry. And in the teaching world, you would say to a student, probably so. <laughs> and it kind of just go, goes from there. Like, you know, the, the conversation is done. You know, you know, we cool off. We're all good or whatever else. And I always say, at least with marriage advice, I don't know if this directly answers the question, but 99% of marriages last if you pray together every day. So having that own personal prayer life and then also a prayer life as a couple, eventually, God willing, that'll be, you know, a family with kids. You eat together every day, so communication is happening. Good, bad, ugly, mm-hmm. okay. The mar- mar- marital bliss in the beginning, and then as it gets to be real, you know, and the struggles and like, you know, rub my feet. You, know, kind of you just do it, you know, because it's, <laughs> because it's the right thing to do, because that's what she wants you to do. And then the most important one, which I say in almost all my talks, to be open to life, you know, and have that mentality that we will be open to life at every moment in our marriage, you know, through thick and thin, because we love children. We're open. This is part of the vows that we're, we're about. And a lot of couples don't enter into that mindset and they know all the way, you know, we are going to be open to life. I mean, my wife the other day even said there was a lady we heard about that got pregnant and didn't want to get pregnant. And she goes, sorry, I didn't ask, but we offered, you know, for adoption for the child. So I'm like, that's fine. Like, Cause we're open to life. We don't want that child to be you know, on the streets or whatever else. So when you get married, my advice for my future son-in-laws is going to be, are you ready to die? Because you have to die for your, for my daughter. You have to die for your wife. Because not physically, but all your hopes and all your dreams and all your aspirations in this life, they have to die. Because it's no longer you. It's your, the two of you, it's y'all, to bring out a Texas term here. It's y'all's dreams. It's y'all's aspirations. It's y'all's future that you're fighting for, that you're working on. So this is a team effort. Y'all need to work together. Make sure God is number one. And uh, let's work together. And uh, maybe not the first advice. Maybe we'll cut that part out. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, when the two are one, everything's going to be all right. Right, exactly. Because it is. It's a team. My wife and I are a team. And I think that's probably one of the mistakes that I made first off was like, this is her job. This is my job. I'm going to do my thing. She's going to do her thing. And her thing is taking care of the kids and taking care of the house and all this stuff. And I'm just going to go out and earn the money. And that's not right. That was not right. That was a big mistake on my part. And it, it's a team effort. You know, I'm, her job is not just taking care of the house and then the kids all by herself. No, this is a team effort. I'm, if not more responsible than she is. So, you and know, even like this is practical. Together. If one cooks, then the other person cleans. If one does laundry, another person folds. Like just be there, anticipate mm-hmm. what the spouse needs, what the kids needs before they ask. And then, um, yeah, the reward will come later. So, I'm like, oh, absolutely. <laughs> My wife told me all the time that, you know, what turns her on the most is when I'm doing the dishes. So, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I love how we have, uh, you know, you asked for one thing we all get to give to. So, I, I, I want to say that if I was on my deathbed, you know, it's a couple there standing there like, why are you in my hospital room? Uh, no, uh, is that enjoy the heck out of it. Yeah, I, don't forget I, the fun. Good call, man. You know, yeah. It just, I mean, you know, every vocation that we have, you know, yes, life is a struggle, but did not, are, are we not called to joy? We are mm-hmm. called to joy. And I think we simply forget that. And yeah. it's, you know, woe is me and my struggles and all the things that I deal with. And here, like you mentioned and referenced, 
oh, my, my uh, selfish ways and my selfish thoughts. I always talk about there's only two motivators. And I tried to operate my entire life under this principle. What am I going to live by? The two motivators. There's only two. Inspiration and desperation. And I often liken desperation to, I want to be good because I don't want to go to hell. That's a desperate way of living, you know? Uh But I don't think that's why hell exists. I think we are not running away from hell. We're running to God, you know? And why not live an inspired life? Um, Yeah, I get a little more excited after I drink a cup of coffee. But you know what? (laughs) I think what most people tell me is that you just, you're excited about things. You're excited about life. Man, if you're getting married, that means you're stepping into a sacrament. Mm. Just get excited about it. Enjoy the heck out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm glad you said that. I mean, we've been married for almost 18 years, and one of the things I take pride in is I can still make her laugh. Oh, mm-hmm. Amen. You know, that's that's a lot of fun. So uh, bring out the fun. What do you most marvel about your wives, or what? Kind of dazzles you, impresses you. Don't ask Joe because he might. Yeah. I'm out. You know, we could probably answer the others. That'd be uh, fun. Question. (laughs) Oops. Uh, But the sacrifice. Uh, My wife is the epitome of always thinking of others before her own needs. Uh, She'll cook a meal. She'll clean everything in the kitchen. (laughs) Did you even eat? You know, like, like, wow. You know, like, I don't know if if it's a man thing or it's just a me thing, but I'm like, how many sacrifices did you do do today? Like for others and thinking of others before yourself. Uh, It's so quick to say, but then I'm picturing it at all times. You know, kids are getting up in the night. She's there. Uh, She's anticipating the needs of, you know, the kids for school and homeschooling. And that's a 24-7 job, you know. And, uh, you know, what's going on the next day with appointments, what's going on with uh, different church events. And just uh, everything is, she's in it (laughs) and she's living it. Uh, So it's, uh, yeah. That kind of struck me the other day. I forgot what triggered it me, but it was that the greatness of, because this was what it was. I I know I was, um, I knew I had some single friends and then got married and then and you know they weren't able to give as much time to church and things like that spiritual things pray as much whatever but you know i could see like in marriage it's like you're together and there's this great opportunity to love and sacrifice you know very premier christian virtues to practice humility in a very intense way i i think to me, in a more intense way than community life and religious life, even mm. that, uh, you know, just because it's that constant concrete call right mm-hmm. there, you know, that you could practice charity with one another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, right, love is the essence of holiness and sanctity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. And I go back to that whole competition versus teamwork thing. You know, I've, I've been around couples that just, neither one of them could be wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, they would just fight tooth and nail. Like two lawyers in yeah. a courtroom, right? Yeah, they were just just at each other, and they would get to where they would just yell in front of us, and that we just did not want to be around that. But to answer your question about my wife, I'd say that it's how she puts her whole heart into it. When she decides to do something, it's all in, hundred percent goes into it. I mean, she puts her whole heart into everything she does, and uh, sometimes she's a little, a little reluctant to do a few things because of that. <laughs> Because maybe she doesn't have the time or the energy to do it, but when she does, it's all in. And uh, and she came from a broken home, you know. And divorce 
was on the table. When we first got married, we'd have an argument. She'd want to go run off to her mom's and wasn't sure she wanted to stay married. I was like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? You know, I came from a Catholic family that that wasn't an option. That we're going to get through this. It's going to be okay. But now after the reversion and the learning of the faith and everything, like I said, she's more of a Catholic than I am. And yeah, it's no way. Yeah, <laughs> that is no longer an option. And and she goes, yeah, you're going to have to die to get rid of me. So <laughs> she puts her whole heart into everything. So awesome. This is an awesome question. Yeah, it really mm -hmm. is. I, my wife is perfect. <laughs> uh, it, you know, it's crazy. We're going to need that sound bite to play back to her. <laughs> yeah. uh, in all of her imperfection, you know, uh, the coolest part is that she, uh, she could have had any man in the world. And she... Uh, Holy cow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Struck a nerve. I'm so broken. And she said yes to me, and I can't believe it. Can't believe it. And to know, um, <clears throat> right, this is when you know that God loves you. Whenever you know how broken you are, and yet he's going to die for you, right? Mm -hmm. Right. It's awesome. Yeah. Somebody else needs to say something yeah. because I can't. Uh, I, I don't, I've never, never broke down in thinking about it. But yeah. So when she said yes, was this the day that she missed mass? <laughs> yeah, no, that one no. time? No. Okay. no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, wow. Didn't expect that yeah. at all. <laughs> Way to go, Holy Spirit. Yeah. Uh, but, you know. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to elaborate just to the point of I really come from a very broken place. Uh, you know, I, not having my dad and. And she was dating somebody who, uh, I mean, their families had gone back generations and they were in a polka band together and, and they went to church together. And, you know, uh, it seemed to me like she was in the, in the picturesque story. Mm. And, uh, and then, you know, for many reasons, they were no longer dating. And then here I come with so much baggage and just, oh, and I did terrible things, terrible things. Uh, and if people knew what I did, uh, maybe it would make my story better to say God is the answer to all, you know. But uh, the fact that she said yes. <clears throat> Sorry if I'm messing up the audio. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, that's sacrificial love. Now the younger mm -hmm. listeners are Googling what polka is. <laughs> <laughs> polka band? Yeah, that? yeah. Yeah, well, no, I, think, I think it was... Uh, I don't know if Thomas Aquinas said this. I know Joseph Pieper writes about the virtue of fortitude, and he, he talks about women having a, I think he speaks of like a greater perfection of it in the sense that if the essence of fortitude is like holding on to the good, we can think of it as attack and defend and stuff, maybe kind of a very masculine forms of it. But women excel in this holding on to the good, mm -hmm. you know, and like persevering mm -hmm. and I just- see that. You know, I, I can hear that to me, what you're saying, that that quality of through thick and thin and and as you quoted I, in Romans, you know, he loves us while we were yet sinners. And I always find that's such, such a beautiful part in movies. I was thinking things that get me in movies is like like when someone in a position, position of strength helps a weaker person or forgives a person or extends a hand at a cost to him, you know, comes out of himself. And when the person is in their weakest moment, you know, to me that always just strikes me as like yeah, just so yeah. Christian and so moving. And um, 
and again, that's in marriage, you know. So. Oh gosh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think as you go grow closer to your spouse, all the things that used to look like imperfections are no longer. So my wife will leave her shoes right in the middle of the, where I walk. I might trip on them. I would be like, dang it, in the past. But now I'm like, that's my wife's shoes. I love her. You know, like, and I'll even pick them up because I'm like the organizer, like the house clean. And I, she texted me while we were here, like, the house is a mess. And I'm like, that's awesome. And now that wasn't me a few years ago. Yeah. They were like, oh, the house is a mess. I'm going to have to go home. You know, but now I'm like, great, because it's, it's where life is happening. You know, kids are having fun. They're learning. They're growing in their faith. They're not learning to clean, but yeah. they're learning. <laughs> that's just true. Yeah, we need a cleaning lady. I'm a volunteer, but yeah. I kind of want to reverse the question on you, Father Mark. Uh, you know, in, in, yeah. What's your quality about your wife? <laughs> uh, the church. <laughs> yeah, I mean, your community. You're experiencing a vocation too, and and I know there's struggles in it, but there had to be this moment where you knew you were right where you were supposed to be. I tell this story too that I remember when I visited. I visited. Uh, I'd set up to go visit a community in California, and then somebody brought me down here, and uh, the superior said, come stay with us a week. And so before I could make that trip to California, I came down here, and I just described it as I, I felt like it fit like a glove. It wasn't, mm. wasn't the television work. It was, it was like the community life and the adoration. Uh, Rhonda Grunewald was telling us about vocations. We interviewed her last week, and I forgot, it was like a high percentage. I want to say it was like 80% of vocations priesthood involved like Eucharistic adoration. Oh, wow. And so that was just so central to our community. Mother Angelica was our foundress, poor Claire perpetual adoration. We had a, we're supposed to have a deep contemplative dimension and an active dimension to our life. But yeah, I just felt like it fit living in community and, but adoration, I was, I was you know, I was like making the holy hour before I came here. I heard Fulton Sheen, you know, I just started mm. doing that. Yeah, and that'll help. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it was really, that's just so, for me, it was just so fundamental, just that life of closeness through the Eucharist and prayer and things. Um, so that's, but I, I love preaching. I mean, I love the television work and you know, I, I tell this story where I was at Steubenville, did some pre-theology work there, and, cool. and they had this youth minister brought his, his kids up, and he's this real outspoken guy, really kind of masculine guy. He said, you know, I just like being where the action is, the action of the Holy Spirit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I, That's cool. And I, I just, something went into that, because I do just what he meant. It's almost like, you know, you kind of want to be where, like kind of where God's acting intensely in people's lives, and the priesthood, you know, you're just hearing confessions, you're seeing God work, and you know, you hear a confession, somebody's been away for decades. Oh, yeah. yeah. So powerful. And and just too how I've been ministered to by priest and confession. It's um you know, we got a, a guy that comes to confession here and and he and and I would just sort of I don't know, I'd be walking between buildings and stuff and I would you know, I'd I'd hear his confession and stuff and and he gave me this uh, this icon of Jesus, the Good Shepherd. It's like he's kind of, sort of like moving across the hills and stuff. And he said, he said, he said, I, I, this reminded me of you because you just always seem to appear out of nowhere, <laughs> rise up behind the bushes. Yeah. And I thought that's the best compliment I could get. You know, oh, that's I felt awesome. like you know that I'm available to this guy. 
Because mm-hmm. I know as a early young priest, you're worried about, okay, what am I going to say? I got to help these people. <laughs> yeah, right. Some, if I could tell you something in a few minutes, that would fix you. Oh, man. It's just yeah. not going <laughs> to happen. Yeah. But I, I found to me, like the best quality, one of the essential quality or whatever of being a, a confessor to be available. Mm. If people can't find you, if you're not there, wow. they can come. Yeah. And just because uh, I know what it's like to want to go to confession, find mm. a priest. And um, how simple is that? Yeah. So, yeah, I think the call you know, is a you know, guy gives a gift. You know, he calls some to this, and he he sustains you. You know, he calls you to a closeness to him and gives you these means to do it. And um, but yeah, so you wrap that up with the connection of like your the the sacramental vocation of. Just being available for one. If yeah. I could go back and I could change my answer about uh, what to tell that uh, newly married couple, just be available. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. If we were just available to our wives, to mm. our spouses, mm-hmm. uh, and what and what their needs were. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes back to the presence of the man, because even I think of like witnesses of masculinity in my life. You know, some of them weren't very virtuous but they were they were present there and i just grabbed hold of it you know Mm -hmm. they just fed me that Mm. um so there's something yeah just being present i think god inspires us what we need to do and that's i in fact i one of our guys preaches on this every now and then there was a, a shepherd from the middle east that wrote a book on shepherding and you know they're trying to protect the sheep from the attackers the wolves or the heat or the bugs and they don't they need water, they need shade. You know, if they don't have these things, they can't fatten up. If they're anxious, oh, yeah. they're always like looking over for the wolf. You know, it's like mm-hmm. they can't. Yeah. So the biggest thing was just to be present, the shepherd to be present. And he's going to know what to do. The wolf comes, you hit him with the staff, you know. I think guys are overwhelmed yeah. too. It's like, how can I do this family thing, mm-hmm. right? It's oh, sure. Big. Yeah. It can be very overwhelming. Yeah. 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 Especially the more kids it. you have. It's just, yeah, yeah it can come at you and, at the strangest times like oh my goodness I have five kids mm-hmm. uh, oh my goodness yeah and but yeah you're just saying that having that shepherd present you know yeah. having yeah. the priest present yeah. having you guys there for yeah. us and mm-hmm. yeah it does it means everything to us yeah. it does have a calming effect I know a guy that he has a, has a lot of kids and everything and he's he seems I know he's, he's intense in his own way he seems kind of <laughs> he seems kind of lethargic and he he like he like he'll address things when he has to, but he'll, he'll say it. You know, the kids maybe are starting to act. He'll say something, then he oh, kind of yeah. goes back into his easy go stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like he knows just what he has. You to You gotta do. find your groove. <laughs> well, see, he's like an old NFL quarterback. He knows what he needs to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that. There's a certain volume we have. The kids just know that they're in trouble, or yeah. you know, a little snap of the finger. Yeah, it's like oh, they get in line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, last question. You guys do men's ministry. Pornography is an epidemic. Do y'all talk about that? What do you talking about? Yeah, 78% of all unique searches on the internet, 78% are pornography searches. Wow. Pornography, we do talk about it. We talk Mm -hmm. about it, you know, in the truck a lot uh, Mm -hmm. when we're traveling and just how terrible it is. Mm -hmm. We didn't realize, like, you know, I went to a a DCYC, Diocesan Youth Conference, and, Marie Francois Angel and her husband, you know, he said in his talk, if we could just p- get 
uh, young people to just stop looking at pornography, I could drop the mic and walk away. Mm. It's the biggest problem. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's terrible. It's how VHS came about. It's how DVD came about. It's how Blu-ray came about. It's what's influenced every form of media. Uh, is it outselling everything? It- because the industry is so powerful uh-huh. and there's so much money in it oh. that they influenced what oh. came next. Oh, I see. Yeah, so when VHS was getting kicked off the shelf, it's because pornogra- the porn industry was saying, uh, we're not going to use this beta or this yeah, plasma disc. Right. We're going to go right. with DVD. Right. So that's yeah. the way of the world. Mm-hmm. Now the young people are looking at beta. It's like, what is a beta? <laughs> you know, people are Googling beta right oh, now. Oh, yeah, right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now they're looking at beta. Yeah, uh, I remember and, and beta. Here we go. We're moving into virtual reality uh, with, uh, you know, uh, the metaverse and everything. And uh, if we don't meet people where they are, I'm not saying go to porn sites and, you know, stop them. I'm saying <laughs> we got to be on social media. We got to be we got to be on the airwaves like what you guys have been doing for so long. We were talking even here. There's a... a, a porn place new dancing place that is in san angelo where we live and there's a billboard right there and we're like let's rent that billboard there right by that place and find a way to reach the guys that go in there and the ladies that go in there i mean we need to be proactive in a way as much as we can it's for us our sons and daughters to make sure they're okay i just remember in college as an ra i go down the hallway when you have the old you know, uh, computers at the end of the hallway for everybody, and everybody's like closing their clo- you know computers and everything else because they were they. You just knew that it's a one-on-one conversation to help them to realize uh, purity is the way to go, and it's 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 hard. It's a struggle. I mean, I've been in confessionals. I'm like, you walk in, you don't even see the act of contrition. You see a pamphlet, how to overcome porn. Well, at least that's a good step. That's something there. But obviously, mm-hmm. priests are hearing it. So again and again, go back to the sacraments and. And then have men to hold you accountable. I, there's several young young men that I taught. I said, you can call me anytime or text me if you have that temptation. You know, and Mr. Frasco, I need prayers right now. I'm really tempted. I want to look at porn. Good. You know, you need people to pray and lift you up during those times. So um, it's important that we are proactive, that we are talking about it. Men are looking at it. We know this. So, um, yeah, we need to cling to our lady have a picture in our wallet anytime the temptation, three Hail Marys, just like, and do that repetitiously. Have a crucifixion, a rosary in your pocket. Grab those when you, it's hard and you want to, uh, one of my friends in the seminary, in the seminary, he struggled with it. So he went, he would go for a run, one mile, two mile, three mile, four mile, five mile. You're struggling again? Yep. <laughs> and then, and then, and then he would go out later in the day and might do another five miles. And she's like, but he's finding a way to channel it though, because men are physical. So we have to find a way to physically have that outlet to be able to, to deal with it. It is a poison. And once it gets in there, it's hard to get it removed. It's a struggle that I've struggled with. I'm sure I'm thinking most men have. Yeah. And uh, it's just, you know, we're visual. You know, there's a reason why God made women beautiful and guys, that's how we see them. You know, <laughs> it's not a coincidence mm-hmm. that we're visual people and he made them beautiful. So and I just think that it's, it, we've taken it, this culture, we, deep down we know it's wrong because we, why do we hide it? Mm. You know, why is it something we do in secret? Why is it something that we don't want anybody else to see? Because deep down we know it's wrong. But yet the culture is trying to make it normal. Why not just do it? I heard uh, a buddy of mine sent me a message that there's a college, I forget what state it's in, that it's going to be offered as 
one of the classes. Basically. But anyway, it's just it, it's just it's something that uh, we do need to overcome, and I think it's uh, we because it, I mean, the obvious you know objectifies, but what it really does is it puts that poison in your head of thinking that this is normal. This is what love is. You know, no, that's not what love is. Sex is it, it's an expression of love between a man and a woman. But what's the purpose? Mm. Procreation. Otherwise, why would they the industry spend so much money trying to prevent it? Because that's what sex is for. But the world has turned it into, the culture has turned it into a contact sport to where now we don't know which team we're playing for mm-hmm. or which bathrooms we're supposed to use mm-hmm. or what gender am I supposed to be. And it's all about the feelings. You know, I love Ben Shapiro. He says, you know, truth doesn't care about your feelings. You know, and the truth is, is that it hurts and it's painful and it's a disease. And it's, it's it needs, we need to find a cure. Mm-hmm. I think, it comes back to you know over half of all marriages end in divorce and the the male figure that uh, is not imposing uh, chivalry on their sons and even their daughters. I mean, it's uh, pornography is not an individualistic sin that doesn't hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, participating in it at any level, even if it's free on your phone, uh, you are participating in sin and evil, uh, and you're opening the door for Satan. And you know, I tell you, it's it's a. I don't know that uh, we're we're trying to overcome the natural uh, spirit of of how God created us. And the devil, all he can do is is twist the truth, right? And so he's taking this this beautiful concept of being pro life and and distorting it. And I'm gonna maybe sound a little dark right now. But I think that the only thing that will stop it is an EMP or something crazy that knocks out all power and electricity that doesn't allow people to charge their phones anymore. I don't think it's going away. It's that far gone. I think it's only going to get worse. And I think it's going to get more intimate to the human spirit. And I think they're going to, you know, these people that thrive on these industries, it's money and power and greed and uh, sensationalism. Uh, we don't live in an information age, even though it's right here at our fingertips. We live in an entertainment age. Mm-hmm. And the word entertainment is derived from the word amused. And the word amuse means to be without thought. And what we know in healthcare is that the people who participate in masturbation and uh, uh, illicit sexual activities are those that have the least cognitive function. It's an animalistic thing that our bodies do naturally. So whenever you go to like a state school and you deal with mental retardation, these people, there's a major problem in these institutions where they're having sex with each other and they don't know how to control themselves. And my point is to say that uh, the more that uh, men are looking at pornography and participating in masturbation and illicit sex, the more animalistic they are. And then Mm -hmm. honest to goodness, the less they're using their brain and quite frankly, the dumber they are. Mm-hmm. And it's just a dumb, barbaric thing for us to be doing. And it's poison, and it's it's the demise of our future. For such a time as this, though, because it's so, oh my, sex-saturated culture and the decline and all these negative things. I'm reminded of the early church and so, so much problems and so much bad things that it's our call to be a saint. <laughs> this is it. We need saints, radical, holy men and women that are going to say no. They're going to stand up and they're going to do something about it. So that's what our call is. Let's do it. God can fix it. Yeah. I had to yeah. say that. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But, you know, I said I was going to say something that seemed very dark. But I, I apologize because in your presence, 
I believe what I did is I just took away the opportunity and the hope that God can have in such a simple act as you just explained. Holy people. We just got to be There's always holy. an answer. Yeah. There's yeah. always hope. Well, I think being also an example to our sons of and being real with them. Like this is out there. It's scary stuff and it's something that needs to be avoided before it, before the world gets yeah. to them. And we might have to be brought up to him at an early age because when's, what's the average age that oh, a young man Super young. sees pornography Eight, now? Seven, lower, seven, younger, who knows? But get a grocery store. It's, it's sitting there on the, yeah. on, the, on the counter a lot of times and just not in maybe the full yeah, right. form, but I mean just in the stuff that people are wearing on these magazines and stuff, that might as well just be pornography as well. I was so happy But they're just day. trying to make it normal. That's the problem. My oldest son, uh, he said, I don't want a phone. I don't even know when I want one. You know, like, sure. because he knows it's all there. It's, that temptation is there. And why even put that in your life? Because the future is bright. There's so much good with God that why would you want something that could possibly hinder? Yeah. There's good from it. I get it. Yeah. But uh, in this time of his life, he doesn't need it. And I said, by all means, don't get it. You know? That's awesome. Yeah. Put yeah. the phone down. Yeah. Yeah. Put the phone That's down. What I, I talked to a priest that did college ministry. I asked him what he told young people. He said, Throw out the computer. Yeah. yeah. That was a social throw out the computer. Yeah. Uh, That's right. But, you know, I, I, we, I interviewed a priest one time, and I was so impressed by his, he, he was part of this group uh, that was fostering chastity and everything, and he, he, had, he could talk so beautifully about all these different elements of it, psychology and therapy and accountability and 12-step groups and everything. Mm. And I asked him, I, so I was hoping we'd get him on the show. He's going to tell Tell us, you know, how to stay away from this. And I said, what should they do? And he said, just do something. I remember oh. I was so struck because this guy had all the answers. Oh, and he said, just start trying things to stop. You know, yeah. take action. Whether it's... Yeah, the worst thing you can do is nothing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You got to you gotta make a change. You know, if nothing changes, yeah. nothing changes. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so you right. have to change and it'll grow. You know, God, I think, will lead you or put people in your life to help you. Whatever you... You need. Yeah. There might be some therapy things. Now maybe there's some wounding mm. to heal or something. That, yeah. uh, I think what they recommend the biggest is accountability partner. Mm-hmm. Just having somebody that you can go to and say, I'm struggling with this. And there's even apps that you can, or uh, things that you can put on your computer and your mm-hmm. phones, like I believe one of them is Covenant Eyes, mm-hmm. that monitor your activity, activity for you. Know Basically thyself. is, yeah, well, know thyself, but it's also that you're not alone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like somebody's watching, you know, because I think a lot of it is just, just lack of integrity. It's like, you know, we're not, we're by ourselves. Nobody will know. I can get mm-hmm. away with this. Nobody yeah. ever has to know. But it does mm-hmm. affect you, right. and it affects how you treat other people, especially mm-hmm. your wife mm-hmm. and the female gender, because there's only two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't go there. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but, you know, that, that accountability partner, knowing somebody is there all the time, has a lot to do with it and it's not that somebody's hovering over you oh somebody's watching no it's somebody who's there who cares about you and wants yeah. the best for you and wants yeah. to help you get over this mm-hmm. so. that human dimension in the spiritual frequent confession and if it's every Absolutely. few days confession, that by sure. all means yeah. but because you know the grace will 100 percent have an impact yeah. yeah turning to god and temptation and prayer and that's i think that's just such a fundamental thing for all our vices it's like it just seems like sometimes the last thing we want to do is ask God for help. 
I've actually had that thought because I mean I have people in my life that are sitting there going oh my goodness here he comes again that guy is such a whiner I feel like that's the way I am with God it's like God I need to man I am whining again Why? he's not going to want to see me when I come to heaven he's going to be that guy going, oh man here he comes <laughs> I heard all talk from Bishop Barron I thought it was so beautiful he was talking about prayer and he said he'd heard John Paul II say you know, John Paul's a mystic, right? Carbonate yeah. spirituality, talk to God, want to marry yeah. And he said, as he got older in his life, John Paul said that he found himself simply asking for things more from God, mm. like a child. Wow. And, uh, wow. I know, it really struck me because I, I know it just seemed like I got to be beaten down to my knees sometimes to ask for help with particular problems and issues. It was like if I would just. Kind of do that first and then you seek some kind of solution but ask for his guidance and help and like a child to a father mm -hmm. that's fantastic i always say that my worst days are the days i don't say the simple prayer that i, I say every morning lord i give you this day and everything in it yeah, yeah. well rome boys chris tony joe thanks for joining us for the extended podcast the ex version. <laughs> yes <laughs> you did a lot of a lot of production today, two shows and podcasts, but thanks for your work and your witness. And I think it's so good for men to share the faith because uh, men are hurting right now. So yeah. Thank, thank you, Father Mark, thank for you. all that you do and all that EW10 does and everything Mother has set, in, set into action just is amazing. Yeah.